great to be back home. Um, last week I spoke in Shawnee, Oklahoma at a, at a wonderful church, Faith Go, but man, it's great to be back in my, with my family, in, in my home, and, and here today. And I, I pray that that's what you feel when you walk in, that you sense the presence of God, but you sense a, a sense of home here, that you feel like, man, I just, I, this just feels good. Right? It just, it feels right. You know, we've been in this series uh, called The Table, and we've been talking about how as a, as a church, this is what we're all about. We're here to help people receive the bread of life. That life happens around the table. You know, in today's really super busy world that we live in, where people are running here and there, it, it's the table that's the time that the family can still kind of get together. You know, maybe it's only once a week for you, or maybe it's not as often as you'd like, but it's when the family gets together and, and, and things happen, life happens. I've, at the table, I've had some of my most wonderful conversations with my boys. Uh, deep, rich conversations where they've asked me things about life. And, and as, as a wise father, I was able to share. Hey, y'all, don't laugh at that. I was, I was able to share my life experiences so that they didn't have to go through some of the things that I went through. And, and it happens. Things are imparted at the table that are, that are rich and that are deep and are wonderful. And, and there's a lot of fun that happens around the table. Really, a lot of enjoyable, fun, funny things that happen around the table. And I, I said this a few weeks ago, if you don't have anybody in your family that is funny, go out and rent somebody um, to, to sit at your table a little bit, to have some fun around the table. And, and like the time that I got my brother with some spinach. Now, my wife's been asking me to share this story, and some of you have heard this before, but I know a lot of you haven't, so I thought I'd go ahead and share it again. One time around the table... I was sitting there, and I grew up very poor, so we had a consistent meal all the time, and one of the things that we had on a consistent basis was spinach out of a can. Some of you didn't know that happens, but yes, it happens, and there's a part of the spinach out of a can that is very light green, and it looks a little nasty, and I, I got home a little late that night, and I'm sitting at the table eating, and I'm looking at the spinach sitting on my plate, and I'm going, that is incredibly nasty. That looks like someone <coughs> right there on my plate. And so as I'm looking and I'm thinking about that, I look in the living room and I see my little brother Davey laying on, on the floor and they're watching TV, no lights are on except the light from the TV, and I notice he doesn't have a shirt on. So I think, would it not be funny if I grab that spinach, go over and act like I sneeze, throw it down on his chest and totally gross my brother out? Tell you a little bit about where I'm at and who I am a little bit. So I do it. I walk over and I act like I sneeze and I throw it down, but I don't see it. All of a sudden, my brother jumps up and he's going, hoo, 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 hoo. It had literally gone in his mouth, gone all the way to the back of his throat. We are laughing, I'm laughing, I should say, so hard I can't even tell him what it is. And he is grossing out. Finally, as, as I kind of begin to get myself together, I said, Davey, 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 it was just spinach. It was just spinach. I'm just kidding you. A lot of significant and fun things happen at the table. And, and you know, the interesting thing about that is the perception my brother had of what had happened. Because you see, it was not that long earlier that he had actually been sitting eating the same spinach. But now suddenly because of his perception, which is quite understandable why he felt that way, he is suddenly feeling grossed out and gagged by something that is happening. 
And I think about us in the church today, if we can begin to understand the perception of what church really is. The church is not a religious organization, relig- religious institution that we kind of look at over there and that's what the church is doing and the church should do better or whatever. But we start understanding that we're the church. And if we start getting the right perception of ourselves and start seeing ourselves the way that God sees us, because how many of you recognize you quickly define yourself by your faults? My wife and I, whenever we look at pictures, it's amazing. The pictures that we choose to post or the pictures we want is the one that we look the best in. We don't really care what they look like. Well, oh no, you look great. You look great. I know your eyes are closed, but we look great, right? And so we have a tendency to be a little bit critical of ourselves, but we have to understand that what God desires for every one of us today is for you and I to be in the host chair feeding people the bread of life. It's what the church is all about. In fact, here's how Jesus said it. If you have your Bibles there today, look in John chapter 6. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. Look at this. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, he's not saying that we're not ever going to need to eat again or not ever need to drink again, but he's helping us understand that in him, when we're partaking of him, we find fulfillment in life. We find a satisfaction in life. How many of you have ever gone shopping for food when you're hungry? Dude, do you load up the, the, the basket or what? But have you ever gone when you're full? When you've, when you've already eaten, you're, you're, you're pacing yourself at the right amount. See, and Jesus wants us to know that we'll never be thirsty because he says, out of our belly will flow rivers of living water. That's why we're set up as a church to take you and take all of us and for all of us to walk through a discipling or a maturing process in our life. We're not interested in, in people getting saved and them staying there. We're interested in people growing to become everything that God has created and designed them to be. That's why the church is a lot like this, because every Sunday that you come, we are wanting to give out, whether it's from the pulpit or through a word that someone gives you or through a way that somebody prays over you or, or does with your children in the children's area or student ministry or whatever. We want to be here at this host chair giving the bread of life away. And we understand that when people come in, they've got to begin by knowing God. They've got to to know who God actually is. And and my prayer is that we in some way never actually get out of that seat. That we're always wanting to know God more. That we, we recognize that while we have an understanding of God now, there's more of God that he wants to reveal to us. And, and then over here is the, the Finding Freedom chair where you get in a small group and, and you begin into relationship with some people. And you allow those people to speak life into you because we don't have to carry around the baggage that the enemy wants us to carry. That eventually you'll get into the discovering purpose through our growth track. That you'll begin to understand the way that you're wired. And just so you know, it's not the end. It's only the beginning. It's the launching pad to get you to this place where you're walking in the fullness of life that God has for you. So that we can make a difference in the lives of others. So that we are collectively giving away the bread of life. Because listen, the host chair isn't just what happens here on the platform. It's not just the preaching of the word of God or the the worship, that that's the bread of life and everyone else here is just to partake. You're, You're sitting in the host chair when you're fulfilling the purpose and plan on your life. 
When you're a greeter and you walk through the door and you give somebody a big old smile, say, man, it's great to see you here today. You don't know how often some people are just starved to hear that. When you're serving in children's area, ministering to children that are not the church of tomorrow, but the church of today, that they they are going to learn things. They're going to speak things into our lives, even as small children in youth ministry and ushers, greeters, parking. I mean, we go on and on. We're all sitting in the host chair, giving away the bread of life. So somehow, someway, we've got to change our perception and discover that the church isn't just for us to come and be fed. Yes, we want you to be fed, but we want to understand that the church is here for us to learn and have a place where we can feed others. That we can speak life into people that need to hear the life that we have in Christ Jesus. For us to go through this process of knowing God, finding freedom and discovering purpose so that we don't get stuck in things in our life. So that we're able to make a difference. See, so that we're maturing, so that we're able to feed the bread of life to other people. Because most of us don't mind feeding other people. But at some point, we want them to grow up and start feeding other people themselves. Because for way too long, people have left churches saying, I'm just not getting fed there. And listen, if you don't agree with the vision of the church, I agree that maybe that's not, if they're going in a direction and that's just not the direction you want to go, you might need to find another church. But listen, the church is not here just to give you fish every day. They're here to teach you how to fish so that you can learn how to fish yourself and feed yourself. So we don't mind feeding others, but eventually we want to see people mature so they can start feeding themselves. And I I don't know if I've mentioned this yet or not, but I'm actually going to be a papa. Yeah. 151 days from today. I've got a countdown going as their due date. Now we know that could happen two weeks earlier or two weeks later, May the 4th, Richard Lee Brown the 4th, that it could possibly, and actually we found out it's going to be a girl, so it isn't going to be Richard Lee Brown the 4th. Very excited about that, but I can't wait till she gets here. But listen, it's going to be a lot of work for Richie and Brianna. There's going to be lots of crying, lots of poopy diapers to change. You're amazed at what can come out of something that small. There's going to be attention that's going to have to be given. There's going to be focus that's going to have to be given to that child. And listen, they're, they're going to be totally fine with that. I'm going to be fine with that. But listen, 10 years later, if she's still whining, she's still pooping in her britches, she's still griping and complaining about everything, how many of you know we're going to know something's not quite right? We're not going to be okay if in 10 years from now that's still happening. See, listen, Chances are, if you're still coming to this church and you're not finding yourself in one of these chairs, chances could be it's because you're still in this chair. Now, how do you know when you're in this chair? We just listen to you and you can listen to yourself. Because a lot of your conversation sounds like this. Some of you are giggling because you think it's super funny. Some of you are going, he's talking about me. (laughs) And listen today, if you're a brand new baby Christian, you have been born again, we are excited that you're in this chair. I'm telling you, we are. 
we're, we're going to be here. We're going to help you. We're going to help you grow. You're right now, everything is about me, 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 me. But listen, if in 10 years from now, you're still here, something's not quite right. Because you see, it's easy for us because people are older for them to look spiritually mature. When in reality, spiritual maturity and physical maturity are two totally different things. And what we want is to see you get here. We do because, man, this is a fun stage. It's a blast, especially as a grandparent. I can't wait for this. I can enjoy this for a couple of days and then go, okay, go on home to mommy and daddy, right? But if they're stuck there, we're not going to enjoy it. Listen, you need to be taking your next step. You need to be growing and maturing. And listen, while you might not be able to make it to the adult table yet, hopefully you can make it to the kids' table. Now, I don't know if your family is like my family, but we have a large family. So when we get together, we can't all get around the same table. And so there typically at our house is an adult table and a kid's table. Now, the bad thing is, is when you're at the kid's table and the group happens to be small enough for one event that you get moved to the adult table, but then it grows to the next event and you get moved back to the kid's table. My boys and and my nephews and nieces, they're in that all the time. They're, oh, I made it. Oh, I'm back here, right? (laughs) But listen, at the kid's table, you, you, you are here because you typically don't have as much responsibility and as much of, a, of, of a giving towards what's taking place. They're, they're not cooking. They're not the one buying the meal. So therefore, they typically get relegated to the kids' table. And it's, it's a good place to be. Because at this place, our kids are not there because they don't have responsibilities. But their responsibilities are in, in the training process. We're, we're allowing them to help clear the table. We're allowing them to do the dishes. Notice I'm using the word allowing. Subliminal messages for my kids today. We're allowing them to take out the trash, right? And, and it's because this is where they happen to be at, at this place. They're at the kids' table. Because the responsibilities at the adult table are a little bit bigger. Listen, we're not expecting our kids to have the responsibilities of an adult, but we want our kids to become responsible adults. So there's a training process that goes on. And even though you might be stuck at the kids' table right now, it doesn't mean that we want you to stay there forever. And listen, if you're a parent here today, especially if you have kids that are full-grown, you know that this process is not very easy. In fact, it's very seldom easy. In fact, it can be incredibly challenging taking your kids through a process of growing them and developing them. So how on earth are you able to put up with that? Because I know when you don't have kids, even though you may have a dog that you really love and stuff, it's a totally different thing when you have your own kids. How are you able to do all of those things? How are you able to not get much sleep? How are you able to mess with stuff that literally needs to be put in a toxic waste dump when you're changing diapers? How are you able to do all of that? Your love for that child. A love that that God puts in your heart and life that is so incredible and so amazing is the thing that causes you to love them. Here's the parallel for us as the church today. For us as the body of Christ today, dare I say, for us as the family of God today, here's how Jesus put it in John 13. By this, 
all men will know that you are my disciples. By what? If you have love for one another. See, how are people really going to know that you and I are followers of Jesus Christ? Is it based on our doctrine? Is it, is it based on our knowledge of the Bible that we can use to point out their problems and point out their faults? Is it, is it, used, is it known by the way of we go to church here or our worship services are like this? No, by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. The love that Jesus was talking about was not some warm feeling that you get in your heart when you're around somebody that you know. He was talking about love being actually a verb. That there is actually verb there is actually a, a, a requirement of action upon the love that God wants us to have for one another. In fact, if you back up a verse, here's what he says. In, in verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you that you also love one another. Now Jesus said it was a new commandment so we have to understand he's not rehashing the old commandment that was, was do unto others as you would have them do unto you meaning I'm going to love you but I'm expecting you to love me in return. He's saying a new commandment I'm asking you to love others the way that I loved you. How did Jesus love us? Sacrificially. He, he paid the ultimate price to show his love for us. Unconditionally is the way that God loves us. So why is this important for us to love one another? Because we are and they are part of the family of God. They are God's children. In fact, I don't know about you, but one of the greatest ways that you can love me is by loving my kids. In fact, I'll tell you today that if you don't love my kids, I don't care if you come and sing my praises. I don't care if you tithe to my retirement portfolio. If you don't love my kids, we're not going to be okay. Y'all hearing me today? You're like, did, did something happen with his kids? What's going on here? Pastor Richie, listen, listen, you don't love my kids. We're not going to be good. Now think about this for just a moment with God. If we don't love his kids, but, but we're, we're tithing, we're showing up, we're doing all the right things, God's probably not going to be okay with us. And, and I'll tell you this, I've been pretty fortunate Pam and I have that inside of the churches, this church that we've been involved in, man, the people have loved our kids for the most part. Outside of a few people every once in a while, that when they were younger and they're running around the church, someone would say, hey, they shouldn't be doing that. They're pastor's kids. I was really quick to tell them, look, I'm not ever going to allow my kids to not want to be a pastor's kid because you're putting that kind of a thing on them. Now, I want you to understand that because my sons are mighty men of God, I am expecting them to come up to a whole nother level, but not because they're pastor's kids. And we've been pretty blessed in that, that the church, for the most part, has loved them. And when you're loving them, I don't know if I mentioned this, you're loving me. And, and, but outside the church, that hasn't always been the case. There have been a few coaches, there have been a few teachers, a few of their friends that were not very kind to them that causes something to stand up inside of a father. 
Now listen, I, I want to tell you that I don't think we need to step in every time there's a little issue that we need to go rescue our kids. I think sometimes there's a, an element of toughness that they've got to develop. But when people come against my kids and they get aggressive against my kids, it brings out the Old Testament in me. I don't mind telling you, it's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In fact, we, one of the things we used to do as a family is we used to go camping quite a bit. And one of the things we'd do when we were camping is we'd ride dirt bikes. And one, one time Christian moved up from his little 50 that he had to a, a 125 or it was a 125 to a 230. I can't remember which one it was, but he had a bigger bike. And if y'all have ever ridden dirt bikes as you're kind of stepping up to a bigger bike, you have to stop like this. You know, you, both your feet can't sit down on it. you got to kind of stop like this. And he was kind of learning how to turn around. And he was turning around in the road right in front of us, and he was kind of going kind of slow. Well, this young lady on her motorcycle went flying by like a maniac. Well, she didn't see Christian, so kind of ran off the road, ended up kind of wrecking. Well, the dad, her dad rode up behind her and started yelling at my son. Man, I'm telling you, Old Testament came outside of me. I thought, I'm in New Mexico. They don't know I'm a pastor. Thank you, Jesus. So I walked out there, and I got into the guy's face, and I said, you're not going to yell at my son. You're not going to talk like that to my son. And he was really mad, and I was really mad, and I thought, okay, I'm fixing to be reported, man. <laughs> CNN, pastor is in a duel, or something like this. But, but we, we calmed down, and, and, I, and we got it worked out. But listen, you're not going to jack with my kids. Because here's the thing. When you're doing things for them, it's literally like you're doing things for me. It, it's just the way that it works. And most of you that have kids, you know what I'm talking about. And, and one of the things when I think about that, I think, well, where did I learn that? Where, where did I get that? And then I remember, oh, yeah, Jesus said it at the end of the age. When he's standing and we're standing before him and he's going to say, you know what? I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was in prison and you came visiting. And we're going to say, God, when did we do that? And he's going to say, when you did it unto the least of these. In fact, look at the verse there, if you would, in, in, in Matthew 25. It says, and then the king, Jesus, will say, I tell you the truth, that when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Notice again that love is a, a verb. Because it's easy to give lip service about loving somebody. It's easy to, to wear the shirt, I love my church. But it's a verb. It's something that, that we have to do. And the proof for our love for them and for the church is shown by the way that we serve them and by the way that we give and invest in them. Um, Jesus was once asked in Matthew chapter 22, what was the greatest commandment? And he said this, he said, in the, can you guys throw that verse up there? And Jesus replied, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now catch this, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Here is what Jesus was telling us is that the fulfillment the, the accomplishment of everything that you find in the word of God is accomplished when we love God, vertical love, that's expressed as I just kind of pointed out in the horizontal love that we have for one another. So literally when I'm loving other people, I'm literally loving God. Yeah. Later on in Luke, Jesus is asked this by a lawyer. And y'all know lawyers can be a little tricky sometimes. 
Now, I, I know I've got some friends as lawyers, and so I think lawyers are awesome. If you're here today, I don't want to have any slander or libel things happening here. But he's asked by a lawyer, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, what's written in the law? How do you read it? He quoted this scripture. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, do that, and you will live. And he wanted to justify himself. And isn't that what we want to do a lot of times? We want to try to figure out, really, where is the line of what I've got to do versus what I get to do? What, what do I got to do to really show you I love you? You know, if you ever try that in your marriage, you're going to find you're going to have a few challenges. Give me the bottom line. What do you need so you know I love you? Not going to work very well, right? He's wanting to justify himself. So he said, who is my neighbor? Well, Jesus begins to tell the, the familiar parable of the Good Samaritan. And many of you guys know that, but let me tell it real quickly. A man was traveling and he fell amongst thieves and he was beaten and robbed and left for dead. And, and then a priest, who would actually be a pastor, walks by him and he sees him. And he, the Bible says he passes by on the other side. Now I can imagine the pastor probably said, I pray blessings on you. I pray that you're taken care of by someone, but I've got to get going. Then a Levite comes by. This is a church leader. Does the same thing. Passes by on the other side. And finally, the Bible says that a Samaritan came, picked him up, took him to an inn, took care of him, paid for his hotel, everything. Now, what you've got to understand is that Samaritans were despised by Jews. They were half Jewish, but they were despised by Jews. This was not the person that this lawyer thought would come step in and take care of this and he Jesus after finishing the story said who was the one that was the neighbor and G, and the, the lawyer said couldn't even say the Samaritan but said the one who showed mercy Jesus said do this and you will live I, I want you to see again that love is a verb Love is a verb. It's, it's an action. There's action required to our love today. And it's important that we embrace that and understand that because every time that we're loving other people, we're loving God's children. This is one of the reasons why we teach you to or invite you to give financially. It's one of the reasons why we invite you to be a part of the dream team so that you can give yourself, so that you can give and invest your money. It's one of the reasons why we're doing this offering today. Heart for the House offering is because we're trying to teach you to provide opportunities for us in a tangible way to share love. Because I don't know if you recognize it today, but you're actually sitting on love today. Someone actually paid for that chair that you're sitting on today, and they paid for it before you got here. So we're, we're tangible, giving tangible evidence. So today, I'm sitting today in this host chair today, and, and I'm teaching about this issue of giving. I'm giving you the bread of life so that you understand that God wants something for you more than he wants something from you. Because as you learn to give things out, God's able to replenish what it is that you've given. So today I'm sitting in this host chair. Some of you are in the knowing God chair. You're just beginning to understand this. Oh, I didn't realize that my giving was connected to my heart. But Jesus said that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And, and suddenly some things you're beginning to know about God are beginning to take place. Some of you are over there in that finding freedom chair. 
And here's what's happened to you. I believe that some of you gave into somebody's life and they hurt you and you stopped giving into people's life. And today, you need to know that God wants to heal you. Some of you gave into an organization. Maybe it was a church. And they didn't do things exactly the way you thought they should. And you got hurt. And today, you've decided, I'm not going to give to anything anymore because I can't trust them. And I believe today that God wants to heal you. It's also in the discovering purpose. There are some of you that, man, you kind of already get this. And you're growing at a whole new level of understanding it. So that you can, and we all can, make a difference together. Because none of us are as strong as all of us. And none of us are as powerful as all of us. Listen, and I recognize today, there are people here today that are at different levels in your revelation and understanding of giving. And the thing that we've been asking you to do is to pray about what God would have you to do. God, what would you have me to do? We're we're not ever, as far as we can tell, ever going to ask you to give money. We're going to ask you to ask God what he would have you to do, and then you do what he's asking you to do. And and again, I understand that we're at different levels, and maybe today as I'm asking you to take your next step, you're not exactly sure what that is. You're you're not sure exactly what does that mean. Well, I want to show you something that that we're going to start talking about more and more as a church, because we do believe that it's important for us to take our next step. To take our next step in what God has. So, guys, if you'll throw that chart up there. This is a giving ladder. And I want to show you this real quickly today. But if you're down here at the bottom, a potential giver, it means this. That you get money somehow and you're breathing. If you're in those categories, whether it's an offering, I mean, whether it's an allowance that you get. Maybe your parents give you an offering. Whether it's an allowance that you get or you work at a job, you today are a potential giver. All right? Y'all tracking with me? At this next level is an emerging giver. This is somebody who says, okay, I'm beginning to understand giving. I don't know really about how all this works, but you know what? I can take my next step to become an emerging giver. So I can start dropping some money in the offering plate. I can can start investing in this church and become a part of this, this local body here by giving my finances. Maybe you're already there. Maybe you come up on Sunday now and your, your wife's sitting next to you and you say, hey, babe, you got, got a little bit of money, right? Because we always ask our spouse for the money. Don't want to use our own cash. You grab that money and you take that and drop. I thought that'd be funnier. All right. You, yeah, there we go. All right. You, you drop that in the offering container and now you're kind of emerging giver. You're giving occasionally, but it's a little sporadic. If that's you today, your next step is to become a consistent giver. And here's what that means. Listen, because I grew up in this revelation of tithing and giving from a very early age, I mean, from as, as long as I can remember, I've been taught that. It, it doesn't even compute in my mind thinking about not doing it, but I recognize a lot of people are not there. And to think about tithing is so overwhelming, you're like, I just don't know. Listen, you can ask God what he would have you to do, and maybe you can tithe 2%. Or maybe you can tithe 6%, but you ask God, say, God, what is it that, that I can do? What is it that you'll, you'll put in my heart to do? And I'm going to start doing that consistently. So then all of a sudden, you're starting to give the 2%, and you're watching God bless your life because you're taking your next step. If you're already there, you're already giving 100 bucks a week or whatever it might be, maybe it's time for you to step up and become a tithe giver. All that basically is, the Bible says the tithe, 10% of what God blesses us with, belongs to him. And we don't give it to him, we just bring it back to him. 
and we give, and then God says he's going to open up the windows of heaven, pour out so much blessing that you're not going to be able to contain it. The, the, the fifth and final level here is, here is the extravagant giver. This is somebody that they're already doing the tithe on a consistent basis, but now they see themselves as part of building the kingdom of God, and so they have made a decision to go to the next level of becoming an extravagant giver. Listen, and I, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know where you're at on this ladder and what it is that you're actually doing, but I, I want to encourage you to take your next step today. Today, as we receive our Heart for the House offering here in just a few minutes, to take that bold step and say, God, this is what I'm going to do. I, I want to show you a, a quick video that we put together, and then I'm going to step back up share one final story with you today. I think one of the things that's all taking our next step is going to do is it's going to, again, empower us to reach more people for Christ. And, and you know, I think sometimes we, we have a tendency to separate things that seem very practical from things that seem very spiritual. So we look at money, we look at buildings, and that seems like a practical thing, but it doesn't seem very spiritual. And yet they are very connected because every time we expand, no matter what that is, our, our financial base of being able to do more, our, our um, facilities to be able to reach more, it affects the one. And we do believe that numbers matter because every number um, has a name and every name has a story and every story matters to God. And I think that when we sometimes look at it and it's something happening out there, other people's lives being impacted, we, we unfortunately sometimes get a little disconnected from the number of people that are giving their life to Christ. We get disconnected from the, the marriages that are saved until it's someone we personally know. Right. And I think that loving people is the key because from the very beginning uh, when we started the church, um, we didn't have anything. We had nothing. We had no resources. We had no building. We had nothing. But what God told me, spoke to my heart was, is that we have authentic, genuine love to give to people. And if we will show that genuine, authentic love to every person that walks in the door, as, as much as it is humanly possible, lives will be changed and hearts will be transformed and families will be renewed and restored and lives will be changed for eternity. And, and I believe that that's where it all boils down to is that authentic, genuine, heartfelt love. Well, I just want to take a moment just to thank everyone that's going to be a part of the Heart for the House offering. And I think it's easy to have a heart for the house when you recognize the house had a heart for you first. And that every one of us, when we came in, we got connected somehow, whether it was through the children's area, the student ministry area, through a small group, through just the services, through the, the worship team, whatever it may have been. And when we recognize the heart that God has given us towards those that, that are less fortunate, those that, that need the love and hope that's found in Christ Jesus, it really does empower us to step out. And, and not only does our giving affect those of us that are here um, at Amarillo Fellowship, but literally your money goes around the world. We have five missionaries that we support, some in Africa, some in South America, also in Mexico. Um, we were part of uh, church planting um, that's making a difference. And we believe that the world doesn't need less, but more life-giving churches. And everything that we're doing together, we are doing together. And as I said earlier, none of us are as strong as all of us. And, and all of us together 
being a part of the Heart for the House offering are really the thing. It really is the thing that's going to make a difference in the lives of so many people. Some people, we won't even know the difference we've made until we get to heaven. But yet we get this opportunity in this moment that I believe we were created for such a time as this to step out and, and be as generous as we possibly can to, to give and invest in the kingdom of God. Last year, we, we started a, a new uh, program called Kingdom Builders, and I want to let you know today that if you're here and you're serving or giving at this house, we do consider you a kingdom builder, but it was just something that we wanted to start that was for people who had kind of self-identified as having the gift of giving, that wanted to give above their tithe and offering. So for a, a minimum of $5,000, we had about 25 couples and, and some single adults that started out with the... Um, the kingdom builders and it's just been awesome just to see what God's done in their lives and and one of them was my my son Richie and his wife Brianna and um, they they pledged not only to give the minimum they actually went above giving the minimum and uh, last year they they or the end of the beginning of this year they they sold their house and and they were had put a lot of sweat equity into it Um, and actually we put a lot of sweat equity into it (laughs) throw credit wherever I can and get credit wherever I can um, and um, so they were really going to make a, a really nice profit. And so it was really just kind of like God orchestrating everything for them. And, but as they were closing, there was some things that happened. They had a, a gas leak and some major things that happened that, that took a bite out of their, their profit. And, and they still made a profit, but, but Richie said, Dad, I'm, I'm not sure if I get into a new house, if I'm actually going to be able to, to, to be, you know, fulfill my commitment to the kingdom builders. And I said, well, Richie, why don't you just pray about it? And why don't you do what you can, but ask God what he would have you to do and whatever he tells you to do, do that. Because listen, sometimes life happens, you know, and I think that I would rather step out in faith than always try to play it safe. You know, I don't, I don't think we need to try to, you know, pledge to give a million dollars if our income is $30,000 a year. But I think when God puts something in our heart and we step out, sometimes some things change. And so I just said, man, pray about it. So they prayed about it and, and they came back and they said, Dad, we're going to fulfill our commitment to the, the kingdom builders. And what we're going to do is we're just going to put our, our home buying thing on, on hold. So, that, so they moved in with us for a little bit and now they're going to live in an apartment for the next year while they save money to get back into a, a house. And, and I bring that up today just for you to understand that love is a verb. You know, it's easy sometimes for us to give out of our excess, to, that we have an extra amount come in. But sometimes when we give and it hurts and a lot of times when we give it does hurt, That's actually when life change really begins to happen in us. In fact, can I tell you, they've already had some financial miracles take place. They thought there was a a large percentage of money that they were going to have to pay during this pregnancy, and and it got totally taken care of. And last week you heard Pastor Stephanie's um, testimony about how her and Ronnie made a commitment at the beginning of this year to be a part of the Kingdom Builders, not knowing how it was going to happen. And then an opportunity dropped right into their lap for him to start a business. And suddenly now God is blessing them in incredible ways. And listen, I'm, I'm not trying to paint the picture of let's give to get. Please hear me on that. 
I, I don't want us to go back to the old covenant of do unto others as you want them to do unto you. But I want us to operate in the new commandment that Jesus has given unto us that we are to love one another. That we are to invest in the kingdom of God. Because listen, I know again, it always looks like things are taken care of. We have no needs whatsoever. I'm telling you today, we have more vision. We have more dreams than we have finances for. We want to build a children's area and youth area back here because we're, we're growing in, in that area and it's just getting too uh, full on Sundays. We're trying to figure out if we need to go to a third service. We'd love to build that. We've got a sanctuary plan for out here. We've got a small chapel plan out here. We've got possibly a school, a charter school planned out here someday. I'm telling you, we've got dreams that are bigger than where we're currently at. And what we're doing right now in this moment is we're preparing the way for people that are yet to come. And so here's what I want to ask you to do. Ask you once again, what would God have you to do? Again, let me show you this giving ladder to to remind you real quickly. Wherever you're at, what I'm asking you today is, is to make a commitment to this house beyond what we're about ready to see with the heart for the house offering, to make a commitment to say, God, I've been, I've just been a potential giver. I've not given anything. I'm ready to be an emerging giver. I've been an emerging giver. I'm about ready to become a consistent giver. I've been a consistent giver. I'm about ready to become a tither. I've been a tither. I'm about ready to become an extravagant giver. I'm telling you, God is going to do incredible things in our midst as we step out and really with a very practical way, love on people.